I saw this, uh, this story this morning. Uh, Amanda was watching this, this, this news program on CBS on the Sunday mornings, and, and there was this man, Woody Williams. He's 97, a, a veteran, and, and uh, he goes around the country still and, and just in support of, the, of Gold Star families. And, and uh, um, you know, he's been awarded all these things, and, and he, all he talks about, though, is, is, is his brothers, the, the people who, who gave their lives. And, and, uh, and it's, he just says how great his life is and how, how he's the luckiest person in the world even though you know he's gone through hard things and seen all these hard things. Um, but, uh, but he has that, that thankfulness and, um, and just, just a reminder of how much, just a reminder to me of how much I, I have um, because of people who I don't even know um, who've, uh, who've given everything. And, and, uh, and just, yeah, anyway, um, what a great day we have and what a great place we have to live and, and uh, so many things to be thankful for. Um, I, uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a teacher. I teach eighth grade math, which, um, believe it or not, is not everybody's favorite thing to learn. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but I've been here for, for a while, and it's been, it's been the best. I would not have, have taught middle school. That was not my, what I thought I was going to do. I, I, uh, I was, in fact, I was afraid of it, honestly. Like, honestly. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe elementary, maybe high school, but no way. But, but when we moved here, I'd, I'd, I'd sub, and that's where I always ended up being. And, and uh, it was, it's just the best. It's been the best place. And, um, and I, I was an elementary ed major, though, uh, education major in, um, in McMinnville. I went to a, a school called Linfield. And, um, and it was a great place, a great place for me. And, and you know, you'd, over the, the four years there, you'd take the general education classes, but then you'd, you'd take, like, psychology of, of kids and how people learn and, and things like that. And, and uh, then you get some experiences in some classes, and and then your your senior year, your last year, you you'd be like full time student teaching. The, the first semester, you take classes and do half time, and I did second grade, and then uh, then the last semester, you're you're full time in in a classroom, and you get to learn from this this person who's, who's teaching. And and uh, I had uh, um, I was in a fourth grade class, um, uh, and my teacher, his name, the teacher that I worked with was his name was Mr. Schindler, John Schindler. And uh, I, when, when I, before I was going into his class, I, people would ask me, who are you with? Who's your mentor? And I'd say, oh, it's Mr. Schindler. And they'd go, oh, yeah, that guy. And everybody, that was always the reaction. That guy's the best. And, uh, and then the people would say sometimes, oh, that's the peanut guy. And I was like, what does that mean? And he said, oh, he throws peanuts at kids. That's, he just has a big bag, and he just throws them at them when they answer questions. And, and uh, I thought, I've never heard of that. It seems like a lawsuit waiting to happen, right, with all the... <laughs> allergies there are, but, uh, um, but that's what he did. And uh, I, so I went in and I met John uh, before I, I taught. And um, the first thing that you just automatically knew about him, I mean, it was obvious, was how competitive he was. I walked in and the, uh, to the, the hallway there and there was this, this, this like pyramid of canned food, uh, all these donations that kids had brought in in the, 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 like this fourth grade hallway. And uh, I go into the room. I said, "John, hey man, that's this, that's pretty cool. You uh, all this, all these donations your school has." And he goes, "The school? Those are mine." <laughs> and and he every time there was a fundraiser, he was going to make sure that they raised the most that they could for every kid and crushed the spirits of every other class in that in that building. That was the that was the hope. No one was going to win anything. And so there was this one. When I was there. 
a fourth grade teacher down the hall, Mrs. Meckers, she, uh, she decided, she had the audacity to think that she was going to beat John in a fundraiser. And they were, they were collecting milk jugs. I don't know how milk jugs help with playground material, but somehow they do. And so she, we knew it, and we, we were on to it. We, we knew that she was collecting them, and John, that just didn't sit well with her, him. And so we'd like sneak into a room after school, and she wasn't there, and try to find them, but she hid them very well. But we knew, there was, and we knew that, that she was going for it. She was going to try to beat him. So one day, John says to me, he goes, Matt, you need to go get some milk jugs. Go, go out. Go, 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 go to some businesses and find some milk jugs. And like, John, shouldn't I be like teaching math or something like that? He's like, nah, it doesn't matter. Don't matter. Don't matter. Just, just go. It doesn't, it's not important. Go get those milk jugs. So I, I was like, all right. So I left and got some milk jugs. She, she ended up winning. She crushed us. And it was, he, I don't think he's ever gotten over that. But... Uh, but John was great. And the, the, the main thing about John that I'll always remember was the way he managed his class, his management uh, style and his management, um, just the way he had things down. So his class was pretty good. The kids, a lot of the kids wanted to be in his room. And uh, um, so they were good kids. It was, a, it was a pretty well-behaved class. But sometimes, you know, they'd get a little bit out of hand or maybe a little bit loud. And there was this one day, it was like the, one of the very first days I was there, the kids got a little bit louder than normal. And all of a sudden, John just looks at the kid in the front. He says, minus two, write that on the board, minus. And the kid got up, wrote it on the board, and everybody just went, Phew. And there was real fear in that room. It was like, uh, it was like have you ever seen Jurassic Park? <laughs> you, know, you know, that scene where the T-Rex is coming, and the, you can't see him, but you can hear boom, boom, boom. And, and, and the water is shaking. They're, they're just terrified in that little Jeep. And, and that's what it was like in that room. I think there were some kids who actually thought they were going to be eaten. <laughs> and and, uh, and I, was, I was scared. I didn't even know what was going on. I, I tapped the kid in front of me. He's like, hey, what, what, is, what does that mean? What, what is that? And the kid, like, waved me off. And, mm-hmm. Quiet, you fool. <laughs> kind of like that. And, and, uh, and so I, I didn't know what was going on. And he'd say that throughout the week. There'd be a couple times. Minus, minus. Well, Friday came. It was Valentine's Day. And little Molly McFadden, little Molly McFadden brought her Valentine's candy out to recess. That was a big no-no. You don't do that. John saw the candy in her hand. Molly, what are you doing? Oh, Mr. Schindler, I'm sorry I forgot forgot. Take that back inside. That's minus five. Ah, she went running back in. She broke a world record on the way. Usain Bolt could not have gotten there any faster than she did. And so this was my chance. Molly's gone. No kids are around. It's recess. I say, uh, John, hey, John, um, you know, I notice sometimes that you say minus and, uh, and I, I, what is that? What, what does that mean? And uh, John, my mentor, my, you know, my leader, my guide, he, he looked at me and he said, I don't know. <laughs> and I said, what, what, do you, what do you mean you don't, you don't know? He goes, yeah, it doesn't mean anything. I just made it up. I was like, Nobody's ever asked you what that means? And he says, yeah, one kid did. And I said, you don't want to find out. <laughs> and that was his whole management. It was a lie. And, and John, but... He was, he was uh, yeah, he was, he was a, great, a great guy. And the kids, they just loved it. He definitely had some things about him. You're like, wow, that's kind of interesting. But uh, the kids loved him. They'd run through a brick wall for him. And he had these qualities that drew kids to him uh, that made them feel special. And when they were with him, they were special. 
And I, I, I think uh, that, uh, um, that, that, that that part of it, that what he had, there was something about him um, that, that just made him a teacher. And today, um, we're going to talk about Jesus as a teacher. Uh, you know, in the, in the scripture uh, that Steve read here, we saw that Jesus, um, what, that he taught many people. Many people came to him and he taught them. And so we're going um, to talk about him um, today and, and as a teacher. Uh, and guys, before that, though, if, if you could kind of think um, about teachers in your life, and, and maybe they had that, that title, teacher, or maybe they weren't. Maybe they weren't a teacher. Maybe they're someone who just taught you something. Um, can you reach into your memories and think of someone who was a good teacher for you? Can you, can you see them in your mind and hear their voice and, and feel the way that you felt when you were around them, uh, when you learned something from them? Maybe they inspired you to believe something, or maybe they showed you something that you just didn't know before. You just didn't know about yourself or, or about the world. Okay. And I can see, in my mind's eye, I can see, there's many people, I can see my, my fifth grade uh, teacher, Mr. Huey, Norm Huey, uh, who, who read us the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I don't know if he could do that anymore, but he did. And uh, he played the piano, and he just made everything cool. Everything was smooth with, with Mr. Huey. And, and seventh, my seventh grade math teacher, Mrs. Larson, Joy Larson. No one has ever been more appropriately named than Joy Larson. Uh, just uh, a, a wonderful person who I don't remember anything that we did or maybe even anything, most of the things she didn't say. That I, I don't remember things that she said very much, but, but I remember being around her and how it felt in her room. And, uh, and she was more than anyone uh, the, the teacher that I wanted to be, to be like when I grew up. Mrs. Ms. Washington, my, my 11th grade language arts teacher, the hardest class I ever had. Uh, but you earned it, right? You earned that grade because you got just eviscerated in your writing and just crushed. And, and, and so when you did something well, you knew you really did something well. She made you feel like, uh, like uh, you earned what you got. Um, and we knew more about her, it seemed like, than anybody else. She was, somehow we got closer to her than anyone. It was, it was cool. And, and Mr. Hartman, Bill Hartman, my... Um, my cross-country and track coach. I don't think he liked running, um, <laughs> but, but he liked us, right? And, and, and we loved him. Um, and Mr. Belderain, uh, Dan Belderain, Ed Linfield, uh, our art teacher who took us in, and um, we were his family. And uh, just, just neat, you know, neat people. My, my parents, uh, of course, uh, um, you know, people who taught me more than anybody that anything that I've ever learned, you know, and about life and, and faith and love and work and and uh, I'll never never repay it, never never will. And 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 Amanda, you know, all, uh, who um, showed me so much before we were married and, and now since. And and uh, I, I always think if if I could be uh, a tenth of what she is as a teacher, um, then uh, I'd, I'd be pretty good. Um, so. I have these people in my mind, and I hope I know that, that you probably do too. And and uh, um, and so today uh, we want to talk about why Jesus was such a good teacher, because it's the, we we know he was a healer, we know he was a preacher, and then and then the scriptures show us how he saved, um, how he is the Son of God, um, and and so. Today, guys, I think also another thing that we see in him, uh, 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 a big quality of his, is that he was a teacher, very, very good at it, uh, the best. 
And uh, today I want to look at four things that made him so great. And there, there's more. Um, there's more, obviously, but uh, we'll be short on time. And, uh, and these four things, I think, are vital. And, uh, and why people listened to him, why people followed him, why people still do that, and uh, what made Jesus so great. So we're going to start with uh, Dallas um, is going to introduce the first quality of Jesus as a teacher to us. that moment, I knew, surely and clearly, that I was witnessing perfection. You, you are a fine fisherman. Only need three more years before I can think like a fish. I'm already thinking like a dead stone fly. <laughs> pictures. Oh, uh, there's pictures. Hurry up. One. <laughs> Two. My brother stood before us, not on a bank of the big Blackfoot River, but suspended above the earth, free from all its laws, like a work of art. <laughs> Three. <laughs> you ever seen that before? All right, all right. Um, as I believe that the fishermen in this video, played obviously by, by Brad Pitt, um, 
share something in common with Jesus, the teacher. This man is clearly, clearly special. Um, he, doesn't know, he doesn't just know how to fish. He seems to know the fish. You get the idea what he does with that rod in his hands is not just something he learned from his dad or from anyone else, but something that he just knows. It comes to him as easily as breathing. He just knows where to place his feet and when to let the river take him, where to place the fly and how to, how to get it there. He knows when to apply some pressure and when to let, go, let out some of the drag. He knows. That knowledge is a part of him as much as his hands and feet are a part of him. He is a master of fishing. He can speak of it with authority. That is the first quality of Jesus as a teacher. He teaches with authority, not like anyone else who teaches on what they, what they have heard from others or what has been passed down to them. No, he knows what he teaches, what he tells others about God the Father and the kingdom of heaven and subjects such as these comes as easily to him as breathing. He knows. He knows because he's been with the Father from the beginning. He knows because he completely and utterly loves the Father and he knows the love of God. And so he is an expert on the things of God like no one else has or ever has seen, ever was or has ever seen. So many times in the gospel, Jesus will teach about something and the writers record what the people, that the people were amazed at him or they were amazed at his teaching. They would ask, where did he get these things? Isn't he the carpenter's son? How does he know all this? People would say he speaks with authority. In Mark 1.29, it says the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority. In Matthew 7.29, right after he gets done with the Sermon on the Mount, it says that the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. In Luke 4.32, it says his message had authority. Even the teachers of the law, the ones who spent their lives studying the things of God, recognized the power and uniqueness of his teaching. They didn't like it, but they, they recognized it. In Mark 12, they came up to him and they say, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. In John 3, Nicodemus, right, the teacher who famously comes and visits him at night, the first thing he says to him is, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus teaches with authority. I wonder how many times people stood in the crowd listening to him in stunned silence, just shaking their heads and marveling at him, kind of like, like his dad in the video. I wonder how many times people spoke of him and said something like, I knew clearly and surely that I was witnessing perfection. Jesus stood before us, not on the bank of the Jordan River, but suspended above the earth, free from all its laws, like a work of art. Jesus taught with authority, and this is still very significant for us, because what this means is that when Jesus teaches something about the kingdom of heaven, about God the Father, about the will of God, about faith and hope, about pain and death, when he speaks of these things, he's not just trying to tell you something he thinks about them, or something that was passed on to him from others that may or may not be true. No, he knows these things. So when he tells the story of the prodigal son, and he says that the father ran out to his rebellious son upon his return and kissed him and celebrated him, that means that is who the father really is. 
When he says that the father tells the older, uh, dutiful and indignant son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But it is right for us to celebrate because your brother was dead and is alive again. That means that is what the father offers to all of us who follow and how much it means to him when someone does finally decide to follow. This is who he is, it's the truth. If I told you this story, if I told you the story of the prodigal son, it would be just a, a nice story that I hope is true about God, a marvelous thought about his grace and mercy. But this isn't me or just anyone else telling you this story. It's Jesus who knows the Father, who is one with him. That means this is the way that it is. We are his children, and he is very loving and merciful towards us. It's the most incredible story ever because it's Jesus who taught it, and he taught it with authority. That leads us to our second quality of Jesus as a teacher. All right. Once upon a time, there was a little boy. He's kind of, kind of a spacey kind of kid. And we'll call, him, we'll call him Doug, Little Dougie. And Little Dougie's walking along, looking at the ooh, fish, you know, or fish, <laughs> bird, whatever, looking around. And uh, not paying attention, falls into a pit, rolls down. Falls into this big pit, about maybe 12 feet deep, pretty deep. Can't get out of the pit. Stuck jumping, trying to climb out. Nothing's working. Stuck down there. So he cries, help, help, help. Eventually, the doctor walks by. Doc Knorr walks by. <laughs> Doc says, the kid says, help, help. Doc says, okay. Takes out a pen, writes out a prescription, <laughs> throws it in the hole. Says, you, hey, that'll help you. Oh, yeah, here's a book, too. Uh, about 500 pages long. Enjoy. <laughs> and he walks off. He's like, okay. So he says, help, 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 help. A pastor walks by. Maybe Mike. Mike walks by. He says, help, help. Mike says, okay. Takes out a pen, writes out a prayer, throws it in the hole. Pray that prayer. It's a good one. He's like, okay, I will. Mike walks off. Third person walks by. Math teacher. Maybe it's Heidi. Heidi walks by. I don't know if she'd do this. No, she, would, she wouldn't, but I'll make her in the story anyway. She walks by. Help, help. Heidi says, okay. Writes out the quadratic formula. Throws it in the pit. He says, that'll help you. He looks at it, he goes, I don't even know what this says. <laughs> she walks off. She keeps saying, help, help, help. Eventually, this little girl walks by, a friend of his, little Gwenny. Gwenny walks by, help, help, help. Gwenny says, okay, I will. And then she disappears for a little bit. And he looks up, and all of a sudden, he just sees her, whoo, jump into the pit. Now she's down there with him. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, Gwen, now, now we're both stuck down here. And she goes, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. I fell down this hole once before, and I know how to get out. Here, I'll show you. See, if you put your hands here, your feet here, and then she shows him how to get out of the, out of the pit. Which of those four people was the one who helped? It was the girl, right? It was the one, the one who was willing to jump in, the one who had been there before, the one who was the friend. This is the, the second thing that Jesus did, and we, the youth group kids, you're probably like, oh, I know this, I know this. The, sec, the thing that Jesus did was he always taught in parables, right? He told stories. He uses stories to get his messages across to people. He gets their attention, and he took hold of their imagination as they wondered what would happen next. How would the story resolve, or what did it mean? He uses stories to take something that is very abstract and unknown to so many of us, like the kingdom of God, and the love of God. 
and he makes them a little easier to understand because we have a visual in our minds we can connect to them. He uses things people knew like sheep and trees and fields. The stories make sense to us and so the teaching behind them makes a little, sen- makes a, makes a little more sense to us too. In a way, he is like that little girl in the story who jumps in the pit and leads us out one step at a time by showing us what we can handle. And of course, Jesus was the master of this. In the Gospels, there are about 40 parables. 40 parables, sorry. What am I doing? (laughs) Oh, there we go. (laughs) There are about 40 parables that Jesus teaches, and you have to wonder what it would have been like to be there to hear them and try to unwrap them. A story hooks you. It grabs your attention. You want to know what happens next, or you want to figure out the hidden meaning behind it. A story is often easier to remember than an explanation of something or a description of something. Jesus knew the power of a story, and he told them all the time. He speaks with authority. He uses parables and stories to get his message across. And there's another quality about Jesus as a teacher that is vital. Without it, many people might not have even given him the chance to teach them, and so they would have never heard what he had to say or accepted it. It's a big one, and I think you'll recognize it pretty quickly in the next story. As the school year ends, Steve Hartman pays pays tribute to a hero in tonight's On the Road. You can see why someone might hate being a school bus driver. The early hours, when the weather sours, the abundance of responsibility combined with the absence of eyes in the back of your head. Y'all have a good day! Nevertheless, Curtis Jenkins loves delivering these little ones to Lake Highlands Elementary in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Emily Grunninger is the principal. He goes way beyond the outlined responsibilities and duties of a bus driver. I mean, that bus is like a family. These are my children. These are my community. I love them all. To establish community, What's your job, man? He starts by giving everyone responsibility. This is one of the police officers. It's an elaborate flowchart. She's an administrative assistant to the president. Administrative assistant to the president. Yeah. Everyone working together to build a yellow bus utopia. And we're going to care about each other and we're going to love everybody, right? I put time, effort, love, care, understanding, understanding each and every one of those kids. Omar. To show his love and understanding, hey, Chief. Curtis gives presents throughout the year. You say you like baseball. Each gift personally selected with that child in mind. Hey. He gave this girl a t-shirt. Her first book. With a picture from a book she made. I'm hoping this t-shirt inspired her to keep on writing books. Over the years, he has bought these kids bikes, backpacks, handed out cards on birthdays, and even turkeys at Thanksgiving. He has spent thousands out of his own pocket. And yet, if you ask the kids what they like most about Curtis, the gifts don't even come up. He really cares about us. He's really kind, and he helps anyone in need. Ethan Engel is a fifth grader. It means a lot to you. Yeah. He says the bus ride is often the best part of his day. My mom got divorced when I was only four. See you tomorrow. He's the father that I always wanted. In some ways, I just, I wish my dad could have been like that. We make the mistake sometimes of thinking certain jobs are more important than others. I know. But Curtis Jenkins made his job important. And in doing so, even created his own salary. That's the paycheck right there. If I can get that, 
You can keep the money. <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road in Dallas. Kind of gets me every time. Um, a couple lines from there. Uh, These are my children. I put time, effort, love, care, understanding, understanding into each of these kids. He really cares for us, the kids say. He's kind. He's like the father I never had. I wish my dad was like that. We make the mistake sometimes of thinking that certain jobs are more important than others. Curtis Jenkins made his job important. And that's the paycheck right there. If I can get that, you can keep the money. It's wonderful. Quality number three, Jesus cares for the people he teaches. He puts time, effort, love, care, and understanding into them. He makes them into a community. His followers are his friends, and he does anything for them. That's an understatement, but it's at the heart of everything he does as a teacher. He loves the people who follow him and those who do not. I think it's clear that if, everything, if anytime he's offered something, he'd say something like, I'll take the relationships with the people and their salvation. You can keep the money. I think the one thing we see most from Jesus is his love and concern for people. It's all over the place in the Gospels. When the large crowd of 5,000 men and more women and children follow him out to a secluded place just to hear what he has to say, they start to get hungry. And it says Jesus has compassion on them. Matthew takes note of this. When the rich young man comes and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus says, keep the commandments. To which the rich young man says, I've done this since my youth. To which Jesus kind of smiles and nods and says, okay. And, and says, all right, then sell everything you own and come follow me. To which the rich young man goes, goes away dejected because he can't do that. He loves his possessions and wealth too much. And when he leaves, Mark says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. Now maybe Mark was there, I don't know. Maybe he was an eyewitness of this event and that, took, that caught his attention. He noticed the look Jesus gave the man because love, because love has a look, doesn't it? It was written on his face. Maybe Mark was there and saw it for himself. But tradition has it that Mark was a follower of Peter and so, all, so he got all of his information from him. And so maybe it was Peter who witnessed the look and he made sure Mark got that part down. Hey man, listen, he said, listen. When Jesus looked at him, I swear, man, he, he loved him. He didn't pity him, he didn't judge him, he didn't hate him, he loved him. It was clear as day. You could see it, you could feel it. And this is just one occasion written down. How many others did he look at and love? He loved the crowds, and he loved individuals that he met, and he loved those closest to him. John, who wrote the book of John, felt so loved by Jesus that he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how John felt when he was with Jesus. I read a book once, and I can't, I can't remember where it was, but um, somewhere in the book, this, this, the writer of this book said that he has a friend that, when, that would write him postcards and letters, and every time when he'd sign it, he says, the one who Jesus loved. And I think that that's, that's great, or the one who Jesus loves. And I think that that's great. I think that's how God wants us to feel. One of my favorite things as a teacher is when a kid says, Mr. Fisher, I'm, I'm your favorite, right? I'm your favorite, right? And, and there's a part of them, I think, that they're, they're joking. But I think there's a part of them that they kind of want to feel that way. They want to hear that. And, they, and they, they do feel that way. That's the hope, is that they ask that because they actually feel that way. Someone, um, so, sorry, 
uh, they, they feel special and they feel favored. And it feels good to think kids in your class would actually feel that, that you feel that way about them. And I think that if I feel that way, and someone who's mostly out for himself, if I feel that way, how much more does God feel that way? How much more does Jesus feel that way about you? That's a cliche that maybe you've heard a million times, but it's still true, that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> it's something worth considering. Can people learn from you if you don't care about them? Yeah, they can. I think, I think that's possible, especially people who are really teachable and who are hungry for learning. They don't, need, you don't, they don't maybe need you to care about them. But when a person feels cared for, a door is opened between you and them. The message is easier to receive because the receivers know that they mean something to you, to the person delivering the message. They're not just faces in the crowd that get lost in the crowd. They are the ones who are loved by the teacher and they'll follow that teacher. Jesus cared about his listeners, his students. Quality number four about Jesus. It's very closely linked to quality number three. In fact, because Jesus cared so much, because he had quality number three in spades, he also has quality number four. Okay, have you ever heard of a woman named Gladys Aylward? I'm not even sure if I'm saying the name right. Okay, I, had not, I, I, I saw something about her years ago, didn't know what her name was, and then I, I looked it up again, and sure enough, Gladys Aylward. Uh, a pretty amazing person. And like so many of these people, you don't hear much about them, and that's probably the way that they like it. Gladys Aylward was born around 1900 in London. And when she grew up, she wanted to be a missionary. She wanted to go to China. When she was about 26 years old, she joined a mission center in London uh, to train to be a missionary, but she failed some examinations, and so she couldn't, they, they, they wouldn't let her go. So she, she heard about this woman uh, in this village in China, and somehow she got a hold of her, and the woman said, yeah, come out. Um, but she had to do it, her, she had to pay for it all herself, and, and there was nobody supporting her, so she, she worked all these jobs and saved up all of her money. She couldn't afford a boat ride, but she could afford a, tr afford a train ride uh, to China, and so she, she did, and it was a very treacherous trip. Uh, took her life into her hands many times, um, uh, but she finally, she finally made it to her destination. Um, as an outsider of the town that she was in and the culture, she struggled to make connections with the townspeople and she was not trusted. Um, but working side by side with the missionary that she came to help, they established an inn and were able to help weary travelers and share the gospel with them. As time went on, it became clear that Gladys was a very caring and strong person. People would come to, to her with their needs and she became a real leader in the town. She took care of orphans and even adopted some of the orphans herself. She broke up a prison fight. Uh, she became a Chinese citizen, and she lived like the people of the city. She became close friends with the Mandarin, the leader of the city. Uh, so that it was called, he was called the Mandarin. Um, and he, uh, he thought her religion was a joke at first. It was kind of ridiculous. Um, but he enjoyed talking with her, and he liked her. He admired her, so he listened to her. He was very impressed with who she was, and he ended up being so struck by his faith that he said he wanted to share it with her. After she'd been living there for six years, the city was bombed by the, the Japanese and, and many people died in the, in the town and, and the soldiers were coming to occupy the area and so the, uh, the people fled into the mountains. And Gladys would end up leading over 100 children over the mountains to safety. Without her, they, they wouldn't have made it. 
so just an incredible person. And, and in, in 1958, they made a movie about her. They're so taken with her. Um, and uh, it was about her and her life in China. Um, and it starred Ingrid Bergman. Some of you guys know Ingrid Bergman. Um, and it was, it was called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. And in this movie, um, near the end of it, right before the people evacuate, the, the Mandarin, the, the leader of the city, um, he calls this final meeting of the elders. So they're sitting around this table, uh, and, uh, and Gladys is there right next to him, sitting right next to him. And, um, and this is what he says. He says, elders of Wang Cheng, I thank you for your help in this time of trouble. But we were born to our trouble. There is one who has taken it upon herself, not from necessity, but from love. Gladys, we thank you for those who are not here, for the dead whose children you have taken as your own, for the poor and the sick and the afflicted, for all of our people, for the past and for the future. I honor you for your strength. I wish to share with you the faith from which it comes. Close the books of Wang... Oh, bookkeeper, he says. Final recorder, he says. Close the books of Wang Chang with this entry. I have become a Christian. Gladys taught people about Jesus in much the same way that Jesus taught people. He went to where they were. He met them where they were. He served them, fed them, washed their feet, forgave them, took care of them. In this passage in Matthew 4, Jesus heals the people who are brought to him. This is part of his teaching. As a teacher, Jesus was a servant. He taught people how to live by showing them how to live. This is quality number four. Jesus taught by doing, and his doing meant serving. The problem so many of the religious leaders had, and maybe sometimes still have, right, is that they saw their role as making them righteous, making them holier, better. They felt like they deserved the best seat at the table, and no one should question their authority. They were at the top of the pyramid, and others were lucky to have them around. One of Jesus' frustrations with them is that they lorded it over the people and put burdens on them that were impossible and that they themselves were unwilling to carry. Jesus did not come that way. He didn't teach by looking down at people, but by reaching out to them. He didn't see the people as just being there to serve him or make him feel good about himself. He saw them as his beloved people to help and lead. He's not the kind of person who just shows up on time for work and leaves as quick as he can, as if his work is something he has to just get through. He fully enters into his work. He moves toward the pain of the world and brings joy to it through his service. He loves the world, and so he meets it where it is. There's this great passage um, about Jesus' way, about his style. Um, it's in Philippians, and actually I think I've heard it here at this church more than, more than I think I've heard any passage um, uh, at all, which, which is great. Um, it's, uh, it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And Paul writes this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus taught by doing. He became a servant. He came with a mission from God the Father, and he never wavered from that mission. That is the kind of Savior that we have. So my encouragement to you today is to follow the example of Jesus. He's the good teacher. We can do something of what he does. Number one, we have to teach what we are an authority in. Everybody has something, something you're an authority in. And as for us, we can't be an authority on God the Father like Jesus is. There's, there's no way. But we should be an authority on what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. Do people get that message in our actions and words? Do they see and hear our need and our reliance on him for everything? Do they see and hear our worries and hope, our worries and yet our hope, our doubt and yet our faith? Do they see and hear our love? Do they see and hear something of Jesus through us and in us? Do they see and hear his words working in our lives? And if we want to become expert in these things, experts in these things, then we can only do it by following him. There's no other way. There's no shortcut. Either we follow and trust, or we don't. And we can be authorities on either one of those things. It's up to us. But we can't teach what we don't know or do. So let us be people who pray. Pray with someone else. Pray in secret and wait. People who seek him in his word daily and look for him in our lives daily. Let's be those kinds of people. Number two, tell stories. Tell your stories. Break things down. Use language that is easy to follow. Make connections that people understand. Give some, someone something to attach your lesson to. And read Jesus' parables. And get familiar with them so you can understand what his gospel message is all about. It's magic. And number three, care about people. If they know you care, they'll be far more likely to listen to you. Seek out ways to make them feel important, special, love. Give them your time. And number four, be a servant wherever you go. Humble yourself wherever you go. Look to the interests of others. Teach by what you do. Thank you very much for this time. Thank you for listening to me. And may God bless you and guide you this week.